0: Man, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Song of Solomon, as we have talked about before. Maybe you like to call it Song of Songs. Either one, turn there. And as we have the uh, third and, and final sermon from this, uh, from this book, some of you are breathing a sigh of relief with that, right? Right? Uh, I I realize that there is is challenge in a, a study of a book like this, and um, I I will say that uh, we've we've really just able to cover kind of fairly surfacey in these three sermons. There's there's a lot of richness here, and uh, I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but. Um, Right after spring break, there will be a growth group. So Wednesday nights, uh, there will be a growth group that walks through Song of Solomon, and I would just, I would strongly encourage you to consider participating in that. would Be wonderful for marriages in particular, um, and and a, again, a great study. Uh, I have even used some of its resources for this sermon series. So this idea of us understanding true love, like real love, and how romance can be maybe even should be, a reflection of the gospel. Knowing that this is the last one, I do want to give you a heads up about next week. And I I really, uh, I guess, you wonder, this doesn't have to be something you answer out loud, but like, have you ever asked the question, how much longer? Right, like, not just like in the car ride when you were a kid and you you were wondering, like, are we there yet? But I'm just Tired and weary of whatever this state of things is, right? And uh, maybe you are maybe you are weary in your marriage. Maybe you're beat down at work. Maybe you're tired of having to make decisions or try to keep up with whatever the the thing that is being said about COVID. Maybe you're frustrated with political conversations, uh, and and you're simply just saying to God, "How." long? The psalmist had the same question. How long, O oh Lord? And so what we're going to do next week is, is, is attempt to look at that and see what scripture has to say for us. It's not It's not wrong to ask that question, but to see what really should that look like in our response to that question. So make sure you are here next week to look to God's word for that. However, today, since you are here, we'll We'll focus on this planned sermon, right? Uh, I want us to consider what action steps that we need to take in order to have permanence and faithfulness both in our marriages and in our relationship with Christ. So think permanence and faithfulness with marriages, but also in our walk with Christ. So we have said this repeatedly, but uh, this sermon series is not just for the married couple. It is also for those of us who are single, uh, who are divorced, who are widowed, who are too young to be married. So yeah, you're single, but it's like, no duh, you're eight, right? So whatever the case is, uh, this, all of this still applies to us because it's it's a reflection of a picture of the gospel, right? So we want to, want to see that as we walk through. So that, that first step, first action step, I would say, is to hold with conviction in mind. Hold, like hold on to, take a grasp of, cling. So in Song of Solomon chapter three, uh, verse four, says this, scarcely had i passed them when i found him whom my soul loves and she writes i held him and would not let him go ever thought about that like never letting go that kind of grip that that isn't to be broken like can't be with like broken in any way in fact you go on turn to turn to song of solomon chapter 8 so we get to the the end of Song of Solomon and in chapter eight, verse six, it says, set me a seal upon your heart as a seal upon your arm for love is strong as death. That's pretty strong. This this idea of a seal um, to be put on a heart or in in this case, as it's described as being put on your arm, you might initially maybe you think of like a tattoo, but I want you to go even stronger than a tattoo. think like a brand right when you're like when it's seared into your skin, that doesn't get taken away like a tattoo can be covered up a tattoo uh, even nowadays can be like uh, lasered off or whatever it can be removed and maybe you see little fragments of it, but a brand like it's in, right? And, and it lasts. A brand stays. So, so you have this description here of a seal upon your arm, a, a brand upon your heart or on your arm, and then it goes on to say, for love is strong as death. If love is as strong as death, then you need to see it because like, once you are dead, you can't become undead. Does that make sense? Like that's, that's the, uh, the intent of such a, maybe an unusual phraseology for us. We don't hear love is strong as death. We hear things like love is life and everything is great. Uh, but, like, but this is talking about like an, the in, intentionality or the intensity in, of, of love. It cannot become unconnected. So when we, when we apply that to marriage, you know, I want to be really careful with my words. I realize that uh, maybe you don't because uh, you don't do this every week, but I realize that I have a um, a very particular responsibility to be careful with my words uh, because I might mean one thing with my words and you might hear another one. Does that make sense? So this even happened last week, so uh, if you're going if you'll allow me, I want to clarify something briefly that I said last week. Um, Last week, I said emphatically, never speak ill of your spouse. I said that very, like, in fact, I said it twice in both sermons, very emphatically. I want you to know what I was not saying. Does that make sense? I was not saying that if you need to speak with someone about your marriage, or you are having uh, challenges in your marriage that you should simply just like suck it up buttercup and not talk. I was not saying you should not find help. In fact, I'm saying now to be even more clear, please reach out, like come find a pastor, talk to, talk to one of us, talk to Diane Wentworth, talk to uh, a life group leader, talk to a, a counselor, find someone. If you are being hurt, whether that's physically or emotionally or spiritually, and I, I'm encouraging you, like, don't be silent. Don't find yourself trying to shove it down in some vault somewhere in hopes that it'll just stay there and you won't have any other issues. What I was trying to say was, like, poking fun of your spouse for their cooking or their lack of cleaning or their laziness or their weight or their fill-in-the-blank is not fruitful, so stop doing that. Does that make sense? Like, uh, I just, I just... Man, I I realize that there's a a burden with words that I want to be as abundantly clear as I possibly can. Don't speak ill of your spouse, but seek help if you are in trouble, if you are hurting, if your marriage is in a challenge. Like, don't don't hear me say, shh. Like, I'm saying, speak up, speak out, that that the, the family of God can care for you well. So maybe you'll forgive me for any lack of clarity last week, um, but back to what I want to be really clear about this week, okay? I want to be really clear about this, and I want you to know that the elders are even like in the midst of discussing some of these things, because we want to be able to present to you an understanding of Scripture that we have in regards to like lots of different areas, but in particular in in regards to marriage and, and things like divorce. And so when we're thinking of words like permanence and faithfulness, those types of things, you might be wondering, is there any reason that I can get a divorce? Is there any allowance for this? What what if this or, or what if that happened? Again, the elders are are working right now to even bring a document before you as a church that you can have a We collectively can have a greater clarity about this. So because of that, I would say this for right now. Generally, think this way. Do your best to take divorce off the table. Does that make sense? Like, just don't let it be a part of the conversation. If marriage is designed to be a reflection of the gospel, and for the last couple weeks, I have sensed that in you, those, whether your heads are nodding out of like trying to stay awake or your heads are nodding in agreement, I'm hoping it's the latter of those, but there's been an agreement. Yes, the marriage is supposed to be a reflection of the gospel. Yes, this is what Ephesians 5 is talking about when, it, when Paul tells the husbands to love and sacrifice for their wives and wives to submit. Like this is a picture of Christ and the church over and over. And yes, there's like this uh, affirmative agreement from you you in, we're seeing this in scripture. So if that is the case, then if, if you can leave your spouse, does that mean that Christ can leave you? Now, again, I realize that that is a a bold, strong statement. So I I want you to hear that, why, why that is best than to simply take divorce off the table. I also want you to hear that uh, that as, as a pastor who is charged with delivering that kind of word, I know that is hard to hear. For some of you, uh, you're in the hardest days of your life. The struggle is more than just real, right it's, it's penetrating all that you are and have and and feel, and your heartache and pain, they are not lost on me. I realize that uh, that making a statement like that can feel, as the recipient of it can feel, harsh. I have sat and cried with some of you, um, and I want you to know that. So thankful for Colin's reading there that God is faithful through it all. God is, it is faithful to sustain. And so that's what I'm praying for you, that the sustaining power of God would, would be evident in your life. And I want to plead with you, hold fast to him. Because the truth is, uh, yeah, your your marriage might be fleeting, but he is not. He is not. So, so when you can't, when you can't lean all the way in, like it's just to your marriage, lean into Christ, lean heavy there. I also realize that this is hard for to hear for those of you who are divorced. You've already walked that road. And it is not my job or even responsibility to condemn you. So don't hear that. I want to remind you that despite that action, whether it happened to you or by you, that you have not been left alone without Christ. Like, Christ still calls you his bride. You are a child of God. You are in the family of God forever and always. And even when we are unfaithful, even when we are imperfect, God is always faithfully perfect. So rest in him. Hear me. I love you. As your brother in Christ and as your pastor, I love you. And I am confident that your elders love you and staff loves you and we want what is best for you and for your marriage and for our church. So as we discuss the scriptures and the interpretation of them, we are doing so with great compassion in our hearts and with some of our deepest friendships in our minds. But more importantly than your pastor loving you or the elders or the staff, I want you to remember, hear this one more time. Your heavenly father loves you. He loves you. And that does not change. It does not go away. So do not allow divorce to be a part of the conversation. Instead, look to the one who can make you whole. And the one who can heal what has been so deeply wounded. And for all of us, hear this glorious truth. In John 10, Jesus says, I give them eternal life, everlasting life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is the news, church. That even when we have our our best like our best effort is when it still falls short, he does not. he never falls short nothing he he puts us in his hand, and then nothing can snatch us out. Is't that amazing like it'd be one thing you put it in my hand, you can get it. But put it in his hand he, he even he even goes on to, to add that right when he says he is greater than all. Making sure you understand that no one, nothing, no power, no, no outside source, nothing is going to be able to take you out of his hand. I think about this as baptism we just saw this morning. The testimony we heard. Wonderful picture of what God, like what was happening in his life. used leaning on his own, he was kind of doing his own thing, yeah, going to church, but like doing his own thing all the rest of the time. But No, then he comes to Christ. What, what happens? He says, I, I want to know more of God. I want, to, I want to be around godly people. I want to know more, hear more of him. Guess what, brother? That's for eternity. That did not happen just today because you got wet. Like this is for always. It's, it's so, so hear this. If you are looking at that testimony and saying, that has not happened to me, then, then know that you can be, be placed in the Father's hand by you simply turning away from your sin and yourself and trusting in Jesus. And for all eternity, that can be your story. Romans 8 has to be my favorite passage of all time. But it, it concludes with this, that no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's not because of our love for him. It's because of his love for us that I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, not even the stuff we don't know about yet, nor, cos- nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Therefore, the action that we take to hold with conviction in mind is certainly helpful, right? We cling, hold fast for the next action steps as well. So secondly, we want to look with constancy in view. Constancy means to be faithful and dependable. So we want to look ahead. We want to look to our spouse if we're married. And we want to look to the Lord with faithfulness, dependability in in view. Song of Solomon. Go to to chapter 4. Chapter 4 verse 9. He is writing and he says, you have captivated my heart. My sister, my bride, you have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. Right there is that that picture like, look to your spouse with a view that you will never want to let go because you have been captivated. I don't know, what, what do you think of when you think captivated? I think of being like totally lost in the moment, right? Like just kind of one of those where uh, I might even look like when I'm captivated, someone might have to say like, Earth to Chad, wake up. Like, are you daydreaming? Are you you just off in your own lane? Like, what, what are you doing Staring off in the distance, but being captivated by something or someone often results at staring at that something or someone, right? I think about just grand scenes you might have been to. I've never been to the Grand Canyon, but people, people talk about standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and just being totally enamored with the, the magnitude of what they see. You could you could see that uh, in if you just get to a, a beautiful ocean and you're you're really just kind of taken back like how vast it is how how big it is maybe you you've been to uh, uh, one of those mountain ranges that kind of stuns you in that kind of way it takes you back and and for just a moment it's like you're captivated by the Grand Tetons you're just totally enamored and you 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 can't you can't help but and so someone kind of touches you on the back and you're, you're startled, right? Because you were so entrenched, so entrenched in your thoughts about that thing or that person. But notice that when he, what he writes here is yes, he is captivated with looking with his eyes, but he is captivated with his heart. This goes beyond just looking at her. He's not just amazed at her outward beauty. We have chapters where he is evidently amazed by her outward beauty. But this goes beyond just liking to look at her. This is a desire to honor her, to to want more for her, to want better for her. So in marriage specifically, because you are, ought to be, let me put it that way, captivated by your spouse, you should want to honor your spouse. And I want to point out two ways that this should happen. One, by meeting needs with like abundance. In fact, uh, in Song of Solomon chapter two, so go, to, go back to chapter two. In verse 5 and following, she writes, Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head, his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. So here's, here's what happens. Here's what, what uh, he is giving her that she needs. One, he's giving her food. You might think that's a silly thing, but right, he's, he's giving her raisins and apples, which is actually like an abundant gift. Uh, it's, it's both fulfilling and like nourishing, but in that day, like that was a delicacy. So that's like a, he's not just like making sure she has like uh, rice, right, on the table. He's making sure she's got the best food to offer. So, so when you're thinking about supplying, like so giving food, he's also providing comfort. Right, It says that his hand is under her head, like he's helping her rest, like actually literally going to lay her head down. There's comfort there. There's also security. It says that he embraces his right hand. This right arm is, an, is the arm of strength. And so it is, when, when he uses his right arm to embrace her, it's this picture of, of strength and security. So what you might consider in your own marriage and, and how you are providing, are you providing these type of things for your spouse? Not necessarily raisins in the little tiny red boxes that you put in your kid's lunchbox, but like, uh, are, you, are you providing practical needs? for your spouse? Are you, are you a part of making sure that there's food and clothing and money and a, a roof over the head? Are you providing comfort? Are you, are, you, are you the first shoulder that they cry on? Right, when things are hard and difficult and they come home from a long day at work, are, are you a comforter in that? Or do you poke the bear, fuel the fire, make it worse? Are you, are you a comforter? Do you, what about security? Do you help them see confidence in your future together? Or do they find that none of those needs are being met? Notice that your responsibility is to meet their needs. Your responsibility is not to worry about your needs. I know that can be difficult, and I'm not saying that we don't consider that, but I am saying that your biggest task needs to be Like, you meeting those needs. In addition, though, you should meet desires with grace. Like, uh, in in chapter 7, verse 10. I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. Go to chapter 8, verse 7. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Desires should be met, whether they are deserved or not. That is what is meant by grace. You ever withhold your spouse's desires because they did not do what you wanted them to do? Don't do that. I'll show him. He doesn't want to empty the dishwasher. We'll see about that. I'm not emptying the dishwasher until my needs are met. Right? And you might not say it, but you think it. You you see how that cycle goes, though? And it just keeps going in that cycle over and over and over. See, you might be thinking, how does this needs and desires, marriage stuff, how does looking with constancy apply to the gospel? But I want you to, to listen to this quote from the Go- Gospel Transformation Bible. It reminds us uh, about marriage and its, its picture. It says, Jesus Christ is the focal point of history and the reference point for all our obedience. Husbands find in Christ a model for sacrificial, loving, strong, tender headship. Wives find in the church's submission to Christ a model for intelligent, gracious, trusting, respectful submission. Though these commands may be designed to reverse the sin of Eden, where the woman usurped her husband's authority and the man relinquished his sacrificial leadership, the Bible never roots these gender rule roles in the fall let alone in a certain cultural context. Instead, these roles are meant to be an expression of the unchanging gospel, the dynamics of Christ's relationship to the church and the church's relationship to him. So, so catch this. Because we have constancy and permanency in our view of Christ, like when we're looking at Christ, we're thinking constancy, permanency. We then... Obey his every command. So think about Ten Commandments, right? Exodus 20. You can walk through those ten commandments and think, like I, I should follow these ten commandments because I, I have longevity, I have permanency with the Lord. I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow him, I'm gonna commit to doing what he says. In fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh in order for us to follow or know his commands, we do actually have to spend time in the word. I'm so thankful once again for that, that testimony this morning, like wanting to know more of God, wanting to spend more time with him. I love, I love he emphasized, he was like every day, like every day. That was a, an. then, I didn't even ask him to do that. Like, thank you. Like, that was just such good for us to be reminded. Like, this should be ongoing, which is a nice segue for me to say your February Bible reading plan cards are out in all of the spots because February, man, it's right around the corner. It's like Tuesday. So uh, make sure you get one of those. If you have not been reading in January or you, you tried to do that for your, uh, like, 2022 New Year's resolution, like, man, I've already failed. It's okay. Like, pick it up. And start start now. Don't, don't think, ah, I'm a failure. Think, oh, I want to know more of God, right? So pick up uh, and, and use that. It's also on our website, those kind of things. But uh, these commandments were given so, I want you to catch this. Exodus 20 happens so that all the other peoples would know that, that the God of Israel is the real God. Like, that was the reason for this command. So they would be set apart, differentiated from the rest of the world. You know, when you're reading through Scripture and you see all those different ites, Hittites, Girgashites, Memeshites, and Sites, all those ites. You know what I'm talking about? All those things. Y'all don't even know if I said a real one or not. You don't know. But, But all of those, like they were all looking to the Israelites to see that there was something different about them because they were following this list of rules that they didn't have. It was was designed for that. That has not changed. We were given commands to look different than the rest of the world. So I wonder, have you ever thought that the very design for your marriage was intended in the same way that the design for the law was given to the people of God. The design for Christ honoring, God glorifying, Bible like exposing marriage is so that the world would know who God is. Your marriage is designed in such a way that the world could know that there is an unchanging, never failing gospel truth that is found in Christ and demonstrated through his people. Ever thought of that? That that's what your marriage is intended for. It's, a, it's intended to make the 3.2 billion people that have zero access to the gospel, to if, if they see you and your spouse, that they could see a reflection of the gospel. Now that's what it looks like. So marriages in this church, not just colonialites, but in the church, were designed to reflect the beauty of the gospel so that the people of South Sudan that we're praying for this week might know Christ. So that the 28,000 in people can know Christ. And the 300,000 Arab Sudanese that live in South Sudan can see a picture of the never-ending, need-meeting, desire-fulfilling, beautiful gospel. That they can know that there is something offered to them. Right? Christ is our all-sufficient sacrifice. So... A marriage is a reflection of that by by our sacrifice. Christ who died on the cross, it even tells us that in Ephesians, right? It's the reason for this picture. You and I deserved to spend everlasting life apart from God, but because Christ the Son came and died on the cross, defeating death and rising again, it gives us access to everlasting permanency with God forever. And that's what, that's what we get to reflect. That's what we get to display and show. So then, this third and final action for us to consider today is that we ought to argue with commitment in heart. I, I want to say that again. We want to argue with commitment in heart. And you might think we're supposed to argue with our spouse. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is you're going to argue with your spouse. So when you do, have commitment already in your heart. We're people. We're humans, we are sinful and uh that means at some point that's going to come out. But there are ways to do that that bear more fruit than others. Does that make sense? It's not like I'm advocating like hey, let's you and your spouse duke it out. No, I'm saying that there is, there is this reality of argument that is likely to happen. Maybe there'll be fewer, but maybe there are more. So, so look, I mentioned this last week, but look at chapters five and six, and this is actually uh, the argument that takes place in the midst of this love poem, which seems an odd place to put it, but I guess they were just being really honest. So in chapter 5, I'm just going to kind of walk through it a little bit and try to explain what's being said. Chapter 5, verse 2. I I slept, but my heart was awake. This is she speaking. A sound, my beloved, is knocking open to me, my sister, he says. My love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drop of the night. Here's what happens. He comes home, and he wants to spend time with his wife. Verse 3. She does not super interested. She says, I had put off my garment. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet already. How could I soil them? She's, like, she's not even getting out of the bed to open the door. Because I don't want my feet to get dirty. So she's not really interested. So she ignores him. He's, he's got his feelings hurt. So it says uh, in verse four, my beloved put his hand to the latch and my heart was thrilled within me. So, so then she's thinking, oh, He's he's put his hand on the doorknob. He's coming in. But no, he is quietly leaving. Now, this is not him leaving forever. You'll see that in just a minute. This is simply him knowing that if he stays, an unhealthy argument is going to happen. So he goes for a walk. I just got to breathe. I count backwards from 10. Like whatever the thing might be. I just got to take a, a breath. So then you go to verse six. And she says, Well, I, I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. So here's what she says. Then when I thought he was coming in anyway, I was, I was ready to have that time. I was ready to spend time with him. But she says she opened up to him, but it was after he'd already left for that walk. So he's already gone. And she's like, Wait a second. What just happened? So She goes on her little way to find him. So you get to chapter six, verse two. My beloved had gone to his garden, to the beds of spices, to graze in the gardens and to gather lilies. She realizes what he's done. He's gone out because I guess it's, I don't know why it's written this way, but like he's gonna go to the garden and he's gonna like pick up some flowers. He's just like gathering lilies. That's like this picture of just like, he's just thinking, thinking of all the things he needs to not say, right? He's he's pondering. It's gathering the lilies in this way. So she realizes he's gone to take a breather. And then in verse three, so in chapter six, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. Catch this. They're in the middle of an argument, right? He has walked away. Like he's taken his breather. She's gone after him. She realizes where he is. And in that moment, she says, I'm his and he's mine. She knows that it's not over. There's a confidence in view, isn't it? She's not worried. Is this it? Is he gonna leave me forever? That's evidence. It goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. Divorce is not even on the table for them. Think about that. They can have an argument, go through hurt feelings, struggle, and not be worried about the end. That's an immense, immense level of trust that has to be built. You need to demonstrate that. Then you get to verse four. You are beautiful as Terza, my love, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. He returns and is once again stunned by her beauty. When you you walk away from the argument, it's not a bad idea to give a compliment when you get back. So, in marriage, remember oh, church, remember this your spouse is not the enemy, the enemy is the enemy. We already know this. I know I said this last week, but I want to remind you again. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So we do not fight against our wife. We do not fight against our husband. The fight is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The enemy, Satan, the devil, that is the enemy. Fight him. Fight him hard. Because he wants nothing more than to destroy whatever that is honoring to God. And I can promise you that a God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, gospel-centric marriage is in direct opposition to our enemy. He doesn't want the 3.2 billion people to see a reflection of the gospel. He doesn't want your marriage to have an impact on your neighborhood. He doesn't want your marriage to be seen by your coworkers. And thought, oh, that's a good thing, and they're they're making it even when it's hard. I love how Tony Tony Evans writes this. He said, Calvary was the definitive blow that sealed the devil's fate. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, a cataclysmic thing happened. Satan was soundly and completely defeated. So when you go to battle against him, you can know the victory is already yours. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What beautiful news. When you have disagreements, and you will, give each other space. Breathe Maybe even specifically set a time that you will come back and, and have these discussions so you're not in the, in the battle. You're not, you're not fighting each other. Pray with one another. Like, like Actually, Paul to say, I know we're disagreeing, but I don't want to see you as the enemy. So can we, can we pray together that that won't happen? And, and for those not in marriage, Think about how this is on display repeatedly in Scripture. Think about, like, the prodigal son. He actually does leave. Like, he, he does abandon. He takes his money and runs. And it doesn't work out too well for him, but he comes back. But guess who's right there? The father. I love that picture, by the way. The father sees him from a distance, doesn't he? He's looking. Why would you make him wait any longer? The greatest and most gracious gift to the Christian in salvation is its eternal permanency catch that the greatest and most gracious gift to the christian in salvation is its eternal permanency that it doesn't ever leave you you're never taken out of his hand this isn't this isn't like oh just for a while never means never always is always This is our Christ. This is our gospel. And I am pleading with you this morning to respond to this truth. If If you don't yet have that eternal permanency on lockdown, right now, turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. Say, I will, I will follow your every command. I will submit to your lordship. I will I will I, I I'm so grateful for your sacrifice for me. I want I want to be in this permanent marriage with you. And even in just a few minutes when we sing, maybe you you have questions about that, and there will be some who will be here in this room to my left, or I will even be in the back of the room after the service is over, and or others in your life group or otherwise that would love to talk with you and speak that truth, bring clarity to any of that. But right now, you don't have to wait. You can trust in Jesus right now. Maybe there's something else. Maybe there is heartache, hardship in your marriage and you need help. Call on the Lord today. There are others of us, again, that would love to talk with you Maybe it is your response today is simply to give God the glory he deserves for the rescue he's provided. The fact that it's never ending, never failing, never stopping, gracious gift of God. So would you stand with me as we respond to the Lord?